this is what you're fighting for. I mean, every day you're out there. What they're doing is blowing people off. If you continue to look the other way and shut up, then the oppressors, the authoritarians get total control and total power. Because this is just like in Arizona. This is just like in Georgia. It's another element that backs them into a quarter and shows their lies and misrepresentations. This is why this audience is going to have to get engaged. As we've told you, this is the fight. All this nonsense, all this spin, they can't handle the truth. War Room Battleground. Here's your host, Stephen K. Bannon. Conversation about AI with a bunch of people. And one of the theories that came out of it was that AI evolves in a series of S's. So you have machine learning, you have deep learning, you have GANs, you know, you have, you know, um, and then you have you know, large language models. And each of these advances makes a big splash, and then it levels off, and then it improves. But what happens is that you have different models of AI that make a splash kind of every year. But then you can get into neurosymbolic, you can get into how do you include knowledge inside AI, which is today not. It's just blindly looking at data. All of these are yet to come. And I believe they will come. It needs to be put to use at scale. And what you see with technology a lot is it's gradual and then sudden. While that's an interesting way to think about the technology, the focus has to be, which is part of, a big part of what we do, is how do you get the adoption? Right. And that's what we're working on in many of these cases when you think about the big, meta trend, big mega trends, you know, whether it's metaverse or cloud or AI, it's adoption. Sunil, do you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, I would say <clears throat> certainly we may be at the moment underestimating what's uh, in store for us through AI. And uh, while we can make fun, sometimes the answers come pretty, uh, you know, crazy from uh, ChatGPT. But it's getting very, very powerful. It's really getting there. And as uh, Julie rightly said, you always see these things moving gradually and then suddenly it takes over. Will it displace people? Is there a, is there a genuine fear about it? I think we have had so many technological evolutions, and every time this debate has come, will we have uh, people displaced, will we lose jobs, especially for countries like India or continents like Africa, where there's young and very large population which needs to be employed. This does become a question mark. Will they be replaced? My own view is many of the jobs, existing jobs and skills will be replaced. Yeah. But they will be compensated by many more areas of uh, new discoveries of jobs and work which will come and surprise us. So I remain hopeful, but we must start to at least now think about a life where AI is going to play a very fundamental role in our daily routine, our daily lives. And of course, much more meaningful into uh, areas like uh, material sciences, chemicals, biochemicals, uh, human uh, uh, life issues. That's going to be a very, very profound uh, area to work on. Okay, welcome. Thursday, 19 uh, January in the year of our Lord, 2023 is the first day, obviously, of uh, we've crossed the Rubicon on the debt ceiling. And that gets to what we're going to talk about tonight in a different aspect. Davos. And I realize a lot of people say, oh, maybe Davos is overblown. Davos is, you know, you've got Chris Rufo saying it's not important. It's you have to understand how the world works. The world is about money, power and control. And in money, power, control, the railhead of the messaging coming together, networking, in messaging and building narratives, narratives that are part of the program, comes at places like Davos. It's not totally exclusive. There's others. Or obviously, the G20 meetings now. COP. We're gonna go to COP 28. Uh, COP is big because it's, it talks about climate change. But don't let people downplay Davos, even though they're not. They don't have the A-list there of uh, of uh, celebrities. Because quite frankly, we've been able to. Um, uh, make sure people understand how uh, d d demons, this is how uh, demonistic it is. I don't know, I think I made up a word. 
Uh, but here you see things that happen years in advance, and it's what people are putting capital on back of. It's what people are working on. This is why we have global corporations, all the hedge funds, venture capital, all the media is there. But we've been able to bring enough to light to wave off the celebrities, to wave off people that are worried about their brand some way, to wave off a lot of the politicians that wanted to go. Um, the Mike Gallagher is a perfect example. Mike Gallagher was a, is a congressman that's a rising star in the Republican Party from Wisconsin, Marine Crofter. He's going to chair the Joint Committee on uh, Select Committee on China on the CCP. And I think we were able to on air and with other aspects, to, that's not a good look to be at Davos with the globalists and particularly the CCP up to their neck in Davos. Artificial intelligence. And we got some really great clips. Joe Allen's going to join me for the hour. And this is, we played this on the morning show, but I wanted to do it again just to tee it up, Joe. And I want to thank Logan, the team in, in Memphis, of course, our team here. Uh, I wanted to set the stage here because it's so matter of fact the way they're talking about it. this is this AI is going to be as we've warned the convergence on the singularity the thing that'll probably get out ahead of everything else is artificial intelligence um, and it has particularly particularly generative artificial intelligence Joe before we give, go to the other clips just give me an overview in Davos of what this panel uh, represented I also want to tell people the heat. Behind the scenes in the conference room was not on climate change. It's not on mental health. They're very important narratives they're pushing. It's clearly on the vax. They're trying to stay away from that, although they're pushing it. It was on artificial intelligence. Joe Allen. Yes, yeah, Steve, there are two aspects to artificial intelligence that I'd like to hit right away. The first is the more practical. You have all of these different corporations, government agencies, biomedical corporations and institutions all of them are basically putting faith and reliance in artificial intelligence as a way to better organize not only the information that they've got coming in from these massive flows of data, but also to actually kind of organize the institutions themselves. It has profound impacts on the way people understand the information coming in. So, you know, people have dismissed the World Economic Forum as some sort of you know, right-wing conspiracy theory topic. And th there's plenty of ammo for that, but there is a very sane way to look at this. You have the wealthiest people in the world gathering to share ideas, and of course in the back rooms to hammer out deals. And the agendas put forward there don't just seep into the economic and political structures across the Western world and in other Eastern and Southern hemisphere nations, but in the US. Uh, you have really kept me apprised of this, how huge the impact of the World Economic Forum is on the West. And so artificial intelligence becomes the sort of icon that people are holding up, not only for economic purposes, but also for the understanding of the world. Now, only touch on this for just a second, but it also represents the central focus of transhumanism. Every time you see all of these major corporations rallying around artificial intelligence, and when you see the actual progress of artificial intelligence, you are basically witnessing the, 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 the timeline of reality begin to catch up with the, the, the projections of where transhumanists see us going. For them, artificial intelligence will be God on earth. We live in a dead cosmos. And artificial intelligence will be a superhuman power, 
which will be better able at organizing our minds, organizing our lives, and organizing the societies we live in. That is the faith that transhumanists hold to. And so if we could go ahead and go, actually, Logan, if you could just play the biotech film. And hang on. I wanted to talk about who those players were because it was so matter of fact yes. what these people are saying is so revolutionary about the structure of human society and culture. They essentially said, and, 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 and I want to make sure the audience understands this, and I can tell you by, and this is what we've warned about, that these things start accelerating at an accelerating rate. The pickup on artificial intelligence is, behead, is ahead of the curve. What they're rolling out now, I think, is ahead of the curve where people thought it's going to be. And they're talking about, yes, people, the younger people, particularly in Africa and Asia, it's going to totally not just disrupt industries, it's going to disrupt the way you actually live, and that they're going to have to adapt to it. Just give me a quick summary of this. Oh, this panel, which was the most prestigious panel on artificial intelligence they had, where literally, if you're paying attention and understand the buried leads, they're dropping one bomb after the other. Joe Allen. Yeah, so the Indian man who spoke the most, uh, that is Sunil uh, Bharti Mittal. Uh, he is the head and the founder and chairman of uh, uh, Bharti Enterprises, a, an Indian telecom company. Uh, you had uh, Julie Sweet, who is uh, the, the head of, uh, uh, sorry, uh, uh, Accenture. I, I can never remember that. Uh, uh, Julie Sweet, the head of Accenture, which is a metaverse company. Uh, they're one of the few metaverse companies that is actually thriving right now. And as you heard her talking about, the, the goal at this point isn't necessarily technological development, although there's some, some kinks to be ironed out. The big goal is to get adoption of these technologies. That's been the real resistance point. People have not been as interested in virtual conferences as they had hoped, although it should really be emphasized that these things have really taken off in the industrial sector and also in, in training. For, so like for mechanics, uh, especially large scale machinery, and also for medical school training, virtual reality is used regularly just as a matter of practice. Then you had um, Arvind Krishna, uh, the CEO of IBM. Of course, that's the, the company that created and now houses Watson, one of the most powerful artificial intelligence systems on Earth. Uh, and then, you know, the, the guy who was running the panel um, is uh, um, Thompson, Nicholas Thompson, uh, who's now CEO of uh, The Atlantic, was the uh, editor in chief of Wired magazine. Uh, he, you know, this is a guy who's been on top of technology basically his entire career. He is not being disingenuous when he says that these technologies really are on the up curve, right? That this S curve that they keep talking about is just, it, it's basically the exponential ramping up the technologies and then a sort of leveling off and continual improvement. Of course, the transhumanist goal and ideal is for that exponential increase to just keep going and going towards the singularity. But these are major, major players. And again, they are putting faith in artificial intelligence as being the next real organizing principle of their industries. And then as it trickles down into our societies, our politics, and in our personal lives. Uh, go ahead and you take it. Uh, you take the deck. I'll keep the, uh, you take the con. I'll keep the deck. Uh, you get uh, Logan. Let's walk through the clips you want to play, and we'll respond to each one. Uh, yeah, Logan, if you'd hit biotech, please. 
We have Jason Kelly, who is uh, co-founder and CEO of uh, Ginkgo Bioworks. And um, Ginkgo is building uh, platforms to enable customers uh, to program cells as easily as they could program computers. That's your um, dream. And, And so here we sit today, and I think there's three technologies that have come together. Laboratory automation, which generates huge reams of data about how biology works. Okay, so we moved away from a scientist at the bench working by hand to robots doing it. What do you do with that data? Machine learning and AI. You can now analyze that data thanks to our compute power. Number two, CRISPR. Updated tools, molecular biology tools, CRISPR, things like genomic barcoding that allow you to now have way more control over where you want to insert DNA uh, across an organism and DNA synthesis that allows you to make that DNA. Finally, Uh, the learning side of things is genomics. So because we've had a revolution in our ability to read DNA over the last 30 years, we now have huge corpuses of raw DNA data from nature that we can mine to find new biology to develop new products. You know, we have a very prolific um, drug discovery engine that, as I mentioned, takes advantage of all all the biomedical data we can ingest over the past four and a half years. And it really gives scientists superpowers. Especially the pandemic, you know, it it is literally shown as a mirror. The power to leverage AI, the power to leverage quantum computing, uh, the ability to harness, um, you know, augmented reality, combine it with, of course, the power of science and enhance it by these technologies. I think you have a number of solutions even uh, cutting across the first world, second world, and the third world. In the WEF, at the WEF uh, over the last three days, I don't think there's been a single session where climate change was not discussed. Industrial biotechnology, again, the power of industrial biotech to come out with resilient solutions, you know, uh, to, the, to the climate changing uh, uh, situations is, again, hugely undermined and hugely underestimated. Particularly in the EU, there's a lot of, I mean, you know, climate is, is top priority. Actually, all the big regulations, the, the regulations <coughs> that are driving sustainable aviation fuel and all that stuff is coming out of the EU. The technology that's going to deliver that is industrial biotechnology. It really is, right? If you look at food system, it's a huge contributor. That's going to be revolutionized. Plant-based meats, entirely, uh, you know, a technology of of biotech, right? Carbon removal. What is the only scalable thing that takes carbon out of the atmosphere right now? If you have plants, plants, you know, right? (laughs) It's obviously going to be uh, technology of agricultural biotechnology. If you want to have any impact in the next five to ten years of any type of carbon removal from the atmosphere. Wow. <laughs> Joe Allen, walk us through that. So uh, that gentleman that we just saw, Jason Kelly, uh, head of Ginkgo Bioworks, uh, people who have been watching the show for the last six, seven months will remember that Ginkgo Bioworks is the biotech corporation that Renee Wegerson comes out of. Uh, Renee Wegerson is now the director of the newly formed ARPA-H, the Advanced Research Projects Agency for Health. Uh, She has a long history with DARPA, the defense end of those research projects. And you'll also recall that Wegerson openly acknowledges that biotechnology, particularly genetic engineering, is heading on a trajectory to create a sort of humanity 2.0 in which all of the genetic flaws of human beings are ironed out and winnowed away, but also the enhancement of human beings for intelligence, for looks, uh, for even uh, mood patterns, things like that. You'll also recall that the Biden administration signed the Biotechnology and Biomanufacturing Initiative, which used the same language they're talking about earlier, 
programming the genes in a cell as if you were programming software. This is the sort of hubris we're talking about, funded by the federal government, pushed by a, an up-and-coming biotech corporation that has these biofoundries, these sort of automated uh, uh, foundries that create and analyze all of these strands of DNA in order to find sort of the perfect, uh, the perfect brew for various applications in industry and elsewhere, and especially medicine. Uh, and then you have this guy on the stage at the World Economic Forum talking about how the biotech at the core of his corporation will go forward to basically geoengineer the atmosphere. They hope to create plants that will be enhanced to draw carbon out of the atmosphere or bacteria to draw carbon out of the atmosphere, meaning that the, you're basically going to have to seed the earth or perhaps seed the ocean. There are many, many, many different sorts of schemes for this with mutant bacteria or mutant plants to draw the carbon out of the atmosphere, basically to put us in control of the weather. Uh, this is, I, I, I can't really emphasize enough how arrogant these people are. And you could really see it in the way, if you watch the entire segment, see it in the way he kind of batters the EU regulatory guy that was sitting next to him for not really being ahead of this. So they're pushing hard for regulation. But I think the big question in all of this is, whose interests will those regulations serve? And I think it's pretty clear that the interests served will definitely be the wealthiest and also the, the really the most kind of leftist inclined in our government and in the, the various other technology industries. Although we'll see in a moment, there are exceptions to that rule. Uh, if, if, if we do have a moment, actually, uh, if we could go ahead and roll but the ha next hang, one. Hang on. Hold it. Hold it. Hang on. I want to know, at the very beginning, they talked about the combination of my two favorite topics, artificial intelligence <laughs> and CRISPR. Explain what they were discussing there, because it's very disturbing. Yeah, this is something we've covered a lot. And so what artificial intelligence does, it gives the corporations working on these sort of new novel proteins a way to predict how mutations will affect the, the organism in question, right? So a great example, we covered this a lot, Google's AlphaFold. Google's AlphaFold has been really pretty astonishing in its ability to go from just a raw gene and take that and predict how the protein will fold and therefore how the protein will behave. What this does is it allows, as he just mentioned, it allows uh, computer scientists basically to do a lot of the work that would have otherwise had to be done in the lab, and it allows that to rocket forward. One of the most immediate impacts of this is going to be in the coming wave of mRNA vaccines. We've covered this a lot, how Moderna in particular has a philosophy in which they see the genetic code as software, they see the human body as a sort of operating system, and they see vaccination, mRNA vaccination, as information therapy, this sort of biodigital convergence, these, this blurring of the lines between the physical, digital, and biological worlds, as Klaus Schwab would say, with the fourth industrial revolution. And make no mistake, whether or not these new vaccines work, 
just like we saw with the COVID vaccines, none of these people are admitting that they made a huge mistake there. None of these people are admitting this, the, the, the tremendous sort of overreach of the government and various corporations in forcing people to get these COVID mRNA-based vaccines. And so you can be sure that this new wave coming out of Pfizer, coming out of Moderna, this new wave of mRNA-based vaccines that are created on the back of all of these advancements in artificial intelligence are going to be, if not uh, delivered to mass amounts of the population as a new human experiment, perhaps mandated on a large portion of the population. It's, you can be sure in more oppressive countries, that is exactly what's going to happen. And unfortunately, the more oppressive country category may well include the U.S. It depends on who's controlling the government and, and who has the ability to put pressure on the corporations at this point. Let's go ahead and uh, have Logan put up your next uh, your next uh, clip. Yeah, that's uh, Microsoft, Logan, please. And it seems when we look at the fourth industrial revolution that now in technological development, when you look at the S-curve, we are really at the point where we have the exponential development. Where are we on the S-curve? I sort of think about it as there's one S-curve where we are at the tip, where it's now about deployment, diffusion, mainstream. And then we now have essentially an emergence of a completely new set of technology, which I think is going to be a revolutionary. I think we all feel it will be a revolution, but there is a certain fear, particularly about artificial intelligence. Uh, people feel it dishumanizes us and so on. Now, what, what steps do we need actually to make sure that those uh, technologies, particularly artificial intelligence, remain society-oriented and human-centered? Things we think a lot about is how to deploy this technology to empower human beings to do more. The internet maybe took 30 years, uh, maybe the cloud and mobile took 15 years, and now I think we're talking months. We think of both the unintended consequences and the benefits both being something that we harness. So you feel that GPT and similar technology will become very fast, uh, 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 penetrating our lives, business lives, but also personal lives. We all remember in 2007, 2008, sort of that was the last time I would say we had major platforms being born, right? The mobile platform uh, and the cloud platform. And, you know, in the last 15 years, they've gone mainstream. I think that the AI piece and this particular generation of AI uh, is showing that type of, I would say, platform shift. We started the work with OpenAI, I would say, three and a half years ago, uh, when we started building the AI supercomputer in Azure to train these large models. And when you look at GPT-3 to 3.5 to what's coming, these are non-linear developments. So they're showing emergent capability. The fact is that these things by themselves are becoming platforms that I think truly can make a difference. Joe, another scary clip. Explain the participants and what did they tell us? Uh, of course, everybody knows our, our favorite uh, Bond villain, uh, Klaus Schwab, and that was uh, CEO of Microsoft, uh, Satya Nadella, uh, who's very tightly coupled with the World Economic Forum on a number of projects and uh, initiatives to basically push these sorts of technologies out. It's really important to remember that as people talk about chat GPT, 
which is an artificial intelligence platform that allows people to ask it questions and they're doing their best and they've done a, a, a kind of a terrifying job at creating a platform that does give coherent answers, even if a lot of times those answers are ridiculous and wrong for now. And even if those answers tend to skew towards the sort of, uh, you know, politically correct uh, uh, territory, that platform, OpenAI is the creator, and OpenAI, of course, initially funded by Elon Musk, uh, has used Microsoft's cloud platform in order to uh, be able to, dish, uh, to, to disseminate the apps to the million plus users that it's accumulated. And so, and Microsoft also, it's important to remember, has just, uh, I, I'm not sure where the deal stands at this moment, but they are looking to invest $10 billion into OpenAI for ChatGPT and Dolly2, integrating basically uh, these artificial intelligence platforms into the, the larger corporate structure. The importance of all this is that this wave is coming fast. There's going to be setbacks. There's going to be all sorts of quirks. But I, you know, I don't have a crystal ball. If I did, they would have me imprisoned underneath uh, some building in Wall Street demanding that I give answers. But I do think it's safe to say that these artificial intelligence uh, language models and art generators, not only have they made a huge splash now, but basically they're going to pour the products of artificial intelligence-based intellects and creativity into the wider culture via the old smartphone, which basically everyone on the planet, you know, in the near future at least, certainly in America, everyone is absorbed in. This is huge. They, they are not, they're trying to sell you on this. They're trying to sell you on the idea that it's a good thing, uh, that they overhype it plenty, but it is not overhyped enough for my comfort levels. Oh, no, it's a, it's a, it can go, it could become a dystopia quite quickly. That's where we're worried about it. Um, very, 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 very disturbing. Uh, and, and it's the arrogance. I mean, almost like he loves being a Bond villain, just the way he played that right there with the Microsoft guy. Remember, Microsoft also announced 10,000 layoffs of human of human beings, homo sapiens. 10,000 got laid off uh, this week. I'm sure they believe that part of that, part of those humans will never have to be rehired. They're coming for the tech jobs. They're coming for the creative, the big creative jobs. They're coming for those plus healthcare. Okay, short commercial break. Joe Allen returns on artificial intelligence, Davos, and your personal life next in the war room. War Room Battleground with Stephen K. Bannon. Okay, welcome back. Uh, Joe, before we go to some more um, polls from Davos, I got to ask you, just on the AI and what they're talking about, I understand the writers are freaking out because they got uh, a couple of the tech sites, I think, or I think CNET, C-E-N-E-T, has been putting up articles, not telling people, written by artificial intelligence. I understand the artist situation. Next week, let's break some time out so we can show some of the art that's being done because it's quite scary. But I want to talk about it because one of the things coming out of Davos is how they think that the, you know, low-level uh, paralegal type work for law firms can all be done by this now. But specifically, what got me, grabbed my attention was healthcare. That they think, in particular, in regional locations, et cetera, where you're short of doctors, 
you'll be talking to a robot or to a computer with artificial intelligence like a G- GPT, and they'll take care of the diagnosis on a lot in a much more accurate than a human being. Give me a couple of minutes on that. You know, this is something else that we covered held this point uh, probably two and a half years ago. Uh, the the reliance on artificial intelligence in the healthcare industry. I'm actually right now here in uh, the Southeast. I'm around a lot of doctors who are talking about this, radiologists and so forth. And uh, artificial intelligence is moving into the healthcare industry in two ways that I'll hit. One, what you just mentioned, telemedicine. So one aspect of telemedicine, which of course they really crammed down our throats with the pandemic because of the supposed fear of doctors contracting illness. Telemedicine means that you're either speaking to a doctor or more likely a nurse practitioner via Zoom or some other platform, or you're speaking directly to some sort of advanced large language model or chatbot that's able to give answers and, and organize basically the, 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 the industry where you would have otherwise like, you know, human beings doing it. And you also, with ChatGPT, one thing that a lot of people I'm sure have noticed, when you go to see your doctor, or especially if you go to see a nurse practitioner, oftentimes you tell them your symptoms and they'll just immediately go over to a computer and start looking it up, right? Now, I, that's good. I think it actually, you know, it has increased the accuracy of diagnoses. Uh, but what we're talking about, at least in certain people's ideals, is that the artificial intelligence systems, these large language models also being integrated with other systems, are going to creep in as a way to diagnose disease, to basically organize the problems and reach what they believe to be a superior solution. Uh, one other aspect you know, we hit before Artificial intelligence systems have actually proven to be more accurate than human beings in many cases in identifying very small uh, irregularities in a body system, right? In, 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 this, in the, the various organs or tissues. So in the analysis of uh, cancer screenings, they've proven to be, in many cases with many studies, more accurate than human doctors. They find things that human doctors miss. And also in the analysis of the vascular system, looking for problems such as clots or the potential for heart attacks, all of that is coming uh, basically hurtling at us so that the the kind of human cognition is going to be, at first they say, sort of symbiotic with the artificial intelligence systems. They already are. But the ideal for many of these people, especially the transhumanist wing, the ideal is to simply move on to a point where the machines take over. The machines will be seen as superior to human beings, and therefore human beings will just be around to kind of hold your hand as the machine takes over all the various you know, issues in your body and tries to heal you. So this is really, really serious on a number of levels, especially in the white collar and the professional industries where that's going to hit immediately people who process information. Uh, let's go ahead and play your uh, very disturbing. Let's play. By the way, the machines take over by first taking over things like law and medicine, which used to be in communities, uh, particularly when I was growing up as a kid in Richmond. The doctors and lawyers were looked at as the leaders in the communities. Right now, you're going to have now you're going to have uh, artificial intelligence doing everything for you. Let's go to your next clip, uh, Joe. I'm delighted yeah, to introduce this press briefing on the Global Collaboration Village, which is an exciting project in the metaverse. One trillion dollars. 
So that is what we estimate by 2025, the metaverse will influence in revenue in the private sector. And that really is going to across three big areas. So it's super simple, consumer, enterprise, and industrial. I think we're seeing it almost take off in the industrial space faster than anywhere else. People need to collaborate when they're on a factory floor to you know, repair machinery. And you know, we've been embarked for, frankly, decades on a path where we've been able to collaborate more closely with new technologies. And we're seeing this you know, obviously accelerate as a result of the pandemic. We all became accustomed to interacting through video. The metaverse is another and the next dimension to this. This particular project, in our view, is of enormous importance for the world because of the role that the World Economic Forum plays in the world. This is an opportunity to create a village without borders. Our aspiration now in 2023 is to take this from what we call private preview to what, we'll call, what we always call in our industry GA or general availability. Uh, I have to say for me, um, it was uh, first experience to use an avatar. I got so fast um, accustomed to it. So I'm fascinated by the capabilities which we have. But for me, this is the next phase, the next big phase of development in the virtual world. I believe that art of the future is art without objects. It's just pure transmission of energy between the viewer and artist. The first thing that we had to figure out was you had to feel that you were in the room with Marina, not a document of Marina. So the purest expression of artistic intent can happen. The life is dealing with what is going to stay after I'm not there anymore. Really like you're facing your own ghost. There is always this great idea of immortality. Once you die, the work will never die because the work of art can continue. Here, I am kept for Joe, um, $1 trillion by 2025, it's already, we're already almost through halfway through the first month of 2023. That's upon us right now, sir. You know, uh, as you well know, Steve, uh, I'm, I'm no money man. I, I've got no predictions on that one. Again, they're selling this, right? And so they're selling it as the future of collaboration and business. Uh, they're selling it. But as let me the let me hold on, let me let me let me just say as as a as a guy was investment banker, you know, you see industries and they start and they got a billion dollars in revenue or three billion dollars of revenue or five or ten. Those are massive opportunities. My point is when they're selling this, they're talking about something that's such a game changer, just even where business aligns itself. When they talk trillion dollars in less than twenty four months. That, that's unheard of. If you go into a pitch and hear, hey, this industry, this sub thing we're working on could be even as gross a thing could be a billion dollars in a couple of years, five billion dollars in, in five years. Th those even you have to when they walk in and say and people that are credentialized and say a trillion dollars in 24 months, you're going to have every venture. The point is, it's just like in um, in uh, transhumanism, you're going to have a massive shift to capital. You're going to have people putting so much, and I mean hundreds and hundreds of billions of dollars into this, and this gets back to the uh, the ARPA-H. 
while we have a whole of government approach, which is going to put billions of dollars through the weapons labs and everywhere else in this, the point, the aspirations of these people are breathtaking from someone that's financed industries or financed companies and industries before. It is absolutely breathtaking. And when you think about the amount of money that's been either invested or lost to date, it's, it's pretty audacious, sir. You know, uh, we covered the metaverse a lot last year, a lot. And uh, that was the time when all of these waves of propaganda were coming out about how the metaverse is the future of technology. It's the next internet, basically. And people saw meta tank. And so they thought to themselves, okay, well, that's it for the metaverse. But it's really important to remember, meta is not the metaverse. The metaverse is basically the entire sort of virtual or digital industry. So that you, you've got basically, it's the design of creating a sort of parallel universe in which people will exist through augmented reality, through virtual reality, uh, through digital goods like NFTs and other sorts of, you know, it, it, you know the, uh, the, the kind of cryptocurrency and things like this. And so it, it spreads across a lot of different aspects of the technology sector. And it has actually had a tremendous amount of success in education, particularly in medical education. It allows medical students basically to practice surgeries or to explore anatomy without actually having to get their hands dirty. And I've been told by a lot of people who work in various manufacturing or even warehouse sector or warehouse industries that you, you see augmented reality used all the time, not necessarily with glasses because the glasses are really expensive. Right now, Microsoft has the most advanced, the HoloLens 2. And last I checked, it was well over 1,000. I think it used, to be, it, was, it used to be 3,000, somewhere around there. So it's not really used, but where they do use it, they use pads like iPads and things like that in order to examine machinery or in order to basically collaborate and show each other kind of what's going on in the machinery of a system. So just because they haven't really created a virtual reality goggle set and, and sort of, you know, uh, the software framework that has appealed to the mass public yet, I think there is a huge desire on the part, especially of young people, especially young men, to have virtual worlds that they can immerse themselves into. You see it with video gaming. Right now, they don't have a virtual reality set that is superior to sitting in front of a big screen TV with a super complicated shooter game or, you know, swords and wizards game or whatever. But I see unless the technology just stalls and comes to a grinding halt, I see no reason why that demand won't be met by the, the next wave of kind of metaverse or virtual reality technologies. It's one of those things that we'll say we'll see. But I, I really do think that as much as there is a desire, unless there's a, a technical limit, limitation, it's coming. It's just a matter of getting the adoption as uh, Julie Sweet, the uh, 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 Accenture uh, CEO says. And if I could just say one thing about, before we move on, whether it's artificial intelligence, whether it is bioengineering, especially engineering your own body, uh, whether it is metaverse technologies or other forms of sort of sensory or mental augmentation, the argument made again and again, whether it's Elon Musk, whether it's Joe Rogan, whether it's Ray Kurzweil, Ben Gertzel, Hugo de Garris, any of these you know, people on the kind of transhumanism wavelength, they all make the argument 
that those people in the long run over the next 10, 20, 30 years, those people who do not adopt and employ these technologies will be left behind. You will not be able to compete because the people who do adopt them will be superior to you. They'll get the better jobs. They'll be better on the battlefield, so on and so forth. It's really important to remember, though, when you look at this sort of argument from competition, a big part, a big reason why these sorts of technologies become necessary to compete with neighbors is because the technology corporations and those who lean towards these sort of transhumanist worldviews, they are ultimately trying to change the entire sort of ecosystem, so to speak, that we live in. They are trying to replace the previous 250,000 year in the making organic human way of life and replace that environment with a new, entirely digitized, entirely technological way of life. And so, yes, of course, at the end of that, should that process actually seep into every aspect of society, then of course you're not going to be able to compete because those are the new rules of the game. And that's a really important point to remember that they are transforming the world in, so, in a way that forces you to adopt these sorts of things in order to become or to be a part of society. And you see that with digital currency, that's coming down the pike. And we saw it big time with the pandemic. Those who would not take an experimental mRNA-based information therapy, as Moderna would put it, into their bodies were at least for a time and in some institutions still are not able to participate in society. Uh, this would be a great point. Uh, if we can go there, uh, if we can go there, uh, let's, let's, hit, hit the uh, let's go ahead and play the other clip. Yeah, hit Palantir. Alex Karp is the CEO of Palantir. Uh, it was Peter's idea. Um, Peter, Peter Thiel. Peter Thiel, very famous um, and co-founder of Palantir. So we got this investment from Incadel, which has always been controversial. It's a really small investment. By the way, I'm progressive, and I think the left is wrong to hate on us sometimes. But in any case, you'll read Palantir, CIA-driven data in German. It's Data Octopus, which is my favorite. Uh, it's like as if we're hovering, and none of which is true. You got some software that was sold to the to Pentagon and or CIA. It was sold, yeah. The, the Incutel gave us three pilots, one with uh, the FBI, one with the agency, and one with a more classified part of the DOD, because they were struggling with finding out where terrorists were putting improvised explosives, and we, oh. we figured that out in our product. By the way, and now it's, it's not just American clandestine services, probably the clandestine service, almost every, if you're in a Western country, it's your country as well, whether they tell you that or not. We want people who want to be on the side of the West, making the West a better, better society, more able to defend themselves, protect data protection, and that's not it for everyone. We have a product that is not well known called Meta Constellation, and that product allows you to take use algorithms on large data sets to hone in on adversaries over, say, for example, a whole country. And the integration of data from the infusion of data from satellite, telephones, other sources, classified sources, and then the disambiguation of that so people only see what they are allowed to see on the battlefield. Uh, the Ukrainians. Then they, we were asked if we were willing to supply our product at, at, philanthropically, basically, for free. And I was very in favor of this because our primary mission is, in fact, to set a global standard for the world for behavior. Um, uh, the product then allowed them, according to this article, to do targeting at, at a, a, with a, like a factor of 20 better. Uh, the U.S. government 
uh, has our software, okay? And, and uses it uh, very aggressively. The great companies in military technology are gonna be in Silicon Valley, uh, the Ukraine and Israel. We, in America, Western countries, we should learn also from the Ukrainians what actually worked on the battlefield. If that doesn't scare you uh, to the core of your being, you will have to play for you again, Joe Allen. So uh, that, I think, really, really drives it home how that's where the rubber hits the road on the competitive edge, because what um, uh, Alex Karp is talking about there is if you are not able to afford or get access to Palantir grade technologies, either through them or someone else, you are not going to be militarily competitive. And this is a point that Eric Schmidt has driven home again and again. And as I've said for, for a year now, yeah. it's one of the points that I agree with him with, agree with him on. But the hang idea on, that hang on, hang on. We only got a couple, yeah. hang on, hang on. We, yeah. we only got a couple minutes. I understand that, but don't bury the lead. The lead okay. is, the buried lead is that it is being used against U.S. citizens. It is, I mean, he said the government has this software, exactly everything you're talking about. It can be and is being used against U.S. citizens. This is the whole reason we have the weaponization of government, uh, you know, the church committee. This is what Frank Church, wa th that conversation right there, if you juxtapose Frank Church talking to that press conference in, I think, 1973, 74, and warning about what the government had as far as technology then, and you hear Carp right then, Alex Carp's... Uh, discussion with Rubenstein there at uh, David Rubenstein of Carlisle Group, the multi-headed octopus in Washington, D.C., uh, is exactly what Frank Church warned about. That's what, So I understand they're pitching, hey, don't be part of the CCP, be part of us, all that, but that's, that's a smokescreen. This is to control the technology here. It can be used and can be used, and this is why artificial intelligence makes it more deadly, to basically understand and control your population. I understand that, hey, we did it to make sure IEDs from jihadists, they think that the Trump movement, they think MAGA are jihadists. They think that they are jihadists and not the, uh, and actually the freedom fighters and people standing for the Constitution. Joe, this has been amazing. Uh, we just got a, a minute. Sum up, where can we go? Are you going to pull this together and put it up on... Uh, on your site and up on Worm, this thing has been fantastic. What do we do with it? Because I know people are going to want more of this and, and actually more details about what, what even what we've talked about. Uh, yeah, you'll find all of these cuts uh, at warroom.org. You'll also find the extended cuts on my Getter account because it's a larger account at J O E B O T X Y Z. You'll find the shortcuts at Twitter, same address. And of course, you can find the work I've done to try to piece a lot of this together over the course of the last couple of years at jobot.xyz. Steve, I got to say, you hit the nail on the head at the end there. I probably would have babbled forever before getting to it. And absolutely, our government is using these technologies against us. And they will, to the extent that they are allowed and to the extent these technologies give them the capability of doing so, will use it to crush resistance in any way possible. Uh, yeah, you will comply. Uh, uh, Joe, fantastic job. Uh, Davos should scare everybody to the core of their being. 
Uh, we're going to be back here at 10 a.m. tomorrow morning. It's going to be lit. We've got, as we've talked about, the uh, March for Life is t- tomorrow. Very ironic. The March for Life comes on the day after the end of Davos. Joe Allen, thank you so much. We'll see you back here in the warm at 10 a.m. tomorrow.